You're listening to Unleashed by Nonstop Dogware, the podcast where you get inspirational stories and useful knowledge from dog lovers all over the world. This is your host, Jeanette. I did not grow up with a dog myself, but had animals around me all the time, and I know it had a good effect on many aspects of my life. Therefore, I wanted to find out more about the human-animal relation. I have talked to one parent and one professor. Let's start with the parent. Claudia Zena from Germany has been doing agility for more than 20 years. Claudia did not grow up with dogs herself, but got the Staffordshire Bull Terrier as soon as she moved out from home. They started doing agility and qualified for national teams and world championships. They even won a gold medal with the team, and she has been at the top level with several dogs ever since. One of the Zena family's dogs is a seven-year-old Kelpie. He is the former competition dog of Claudia's husband, Jörg, but now he's running with their seven-year-old daughter's son. They grew up together, and um, since Marora was five years old, they started to do some agility, and now she's seven and is ready, is ready for competition, and yes, they are doing pretty good. Who wanted to start with agility? Was it your daughter, or was it you as parents that... Uh, thought it would be nice for her to try. If your kid is sharing the same interest and the same hobby, of course you like this very much, but it was not us to tell her, okay, get the dog and start agility. It was just her because we are an agility-addicted family. We are crazy about this, this sport and we are on the, on the training field very often and we do competition almost every weekend. So since she is a baby, she's with us all the time and she grew up with it. And then was this one day she, she said, okay, I want to do agility too. So can I j- just join the training? And so it all started and she was really talented and yeah, got better and better and better. I guess it's, either or because some kids growing up with agility they get sick and tired of it do you have any tips and tricks for other parents with kids to to avoid this you you never can tell how it will develop but i think it's very important not to tell the kid you have to do this and that let it go and see what will happen. I guess it's very important to tell the kid this is an animal and how to treat the animal and how to take care of the dog and don't be so stressful, don't be so strict and Mm. they need to have fun. And it's not important to be good at the sport. It's important just to have have fun with the animal, uh, with your dog as a team partner. And then if they understand that it is not about yeah, it is not about winning, it is about being a team and having a good time. Doing this sport, does it affect your kid in any way, positive or negative? I think my kid has become much more self-confident. She is proud of what she is able to do together with the dog. Um, she's very talented with the dog and has a special sense of how to handle the dog in agility. And in my opinion, agility affects all kinds of development, like um, more focus, more concentration, better learning, socialization, movement, and even body control. 
and um, she's very eager to learn more of what she's doing, not only in agility. Do you see any changes from before she started compared to now? Oh yes, like I said, um, since she is a baby, she has been to the agility class regularly with us. So because we are on the field and in training um, so often, and she is joining our trainings and competition, and she had started very early with agility. Um, she was five years, and she was very eager to learn more and more. And now after two years of training, she was ready to c for competition, and the development was huge. Um, in even six months from her first start till now, she is yeah gaining so much more self-confidence. And yes, the development is really, really huge. And she has gained yes so many agility skills in such a uh, such a short period. This is just amazing. And of course, this affects our daily life. Usually, she would rather back off if situations get more complicated. And now she's able to, handly, to handle um, daily life situations more easy. She's very open-minded now towards other people and cares for others. She has learned to deal with failures. If you work with an animal, things very often go not always as planned. We teach her, don't be mad at the dog. It is always your fault. And rethink your handling. This is an important lesson for the kids. Yes. And the handling is how you move to show the dog the way. Yes, on the course. that's true. In agility, it's, um, you guide the dog only with your voice and your body movement. The dog doesn't know the course because the course is always different. It's up to you showing the right way. And if the dog takes the wrong way, like an, a wrong obstacle or wrong tunnel, then it's it's your fault because you're not showing the, the right way for the dog. And your daughter seems to be a natural at this, maybe because she grew up uh, with it, but she's adjusting very nice to the dog and everything. I saw her running at the uh, back. That's a big competition in Germany. She was running the finals and they had a great run. It was uh, a fault on the contacts uh, as far as I can remember but the rest was just flawless how was it for her to have that experience to compete with some of the best handlers in the world in front of a big big audience oh this was this was a great experience like six months earlier she would not do it and now um, she was qualified for the final because in Germany um, the kids are invited to um, run the final because um, um, it's a very good yeah, support for the kids. And um, she was so excited. I was thinking this course is way too much for her and the dog. I was a little bit worried. And she answered me like, oh, mom, don't worry. We can do it. So this was very cute. And she has a very special feeling for the dog. And the dog, he's also very, very nice and very kind to her. Um, he's watching the kid very good. So they are already a perfect team. So this is very good to see. And of course, she was very excited to run. 
in this um, final at this international competition, but she was doing so perfect. She was showing off so much, so much. It was just very impressive. She just started from from jump number one to the end. It was just she had a plan and she was running it, and she was sure the dog will follow, and she just nailed it. It was just amazing. And now she just qualified for grade three. That's like the elite class in agility. Now she's competing against adults and some of the best ones in the world as well. How do you think this will be for her? Oh, yes. <laughs> because Actually. it's not only easy, because maybe now she's used to winning and everything until now, but uh, now she gets some serious competition. Oh, yes, that's true. Yeah. Um, she started in, in class uh, one and did um, the all the qualification for class two and another qualification for class three. To be honest, we didn't imagine she would even do it so fast in such a short time. And now she's, yes, in class three running um, with the adults. And of course, it's now our job to teach her it is not about winning it is to have a, a to be a perfect team to have a very nice teammate with you she needs to learn this and yeah we we need to um, explain it every time so now it's getting more complicated and maybe she will not win even if she has a clean run is all about the feeling. If she is having fun with the dog and if she is enjoying the run, then that's all that counts. What counts? How is the relationship between your child and the dog outside the agility course? They are they are even outside agility a perfect team. They um they have a daily life together and they take care for each other. Do you see any different in how the dog is behaving around your daughter compared to you guys as adults? He is adjusting to the kid when um, the kid will slow down in the course. He will adjust perfectly and slowing down too. And he's even waiting for her and um, he's very nice. In one course, she was falling down and he stopped immediately watching her, being sure she's okay, and then he started to run again. It was so nice. Would he do the same if it was your husband falling? Well, no. No, of course not. No. When he was running with my husband, he was a totally different dog. He's not an easy dog. As a Kelpie, of course, he's very, very big. And it was not easy to run with him in the agility course, but now he's a totally different dog with my kid. This is this is really amazing. What do you think the future will uh, hold for your daughter and uh, her Kelpie? Well, um, they just started to c to compete in agility, but in Germany we have some junior championships. And um, maybe she will go for that, maybe next year or in some months. And we will see. Next year there is even the Junior European Open. But this is a little bit too much for her right now. We want her just to, to grow as a team 
and to get even more self-confidence and maybe they're ready for this big events maybe a little bit later. It's very important not to, to overdo it. You did not grow up with a dog yourself, but now you've seen your daughter growing up with this amazing dog. Do you think every kid, ideally, should grow up with a dog or a pet in general? Oh, in my opinion, every kid needs a pet for its own development. If your kid can have a dog, then it's even better. They can learn for life. Social behavior and special needs of the animal, respect and kindness, and of course responsibility. And they they learn patience and how to train an animal. And I think the combination of a pet and sport is perfect. And of course agility is all life. If our kids love dogs as much as we do, everybody's happy. Then the question is, can this be backed up with science? I called Gail Melson, professor eremita at Purdue University in USA, to find out. She has a PhD in developmental psychology with focus on children. When she started doing research in the 1980s, there was hardly any information to find about the relationship between kids and animals. She has changed that and collected some of her findings in the book Why the Wild Things Are animals in the lives of children the field of psychology until recently really focused on relationships that children had with other human beings i became interested in the relationships that children have outside of the human species and of course that takes you to uh, an interest in animals and particularly knowing that in not only Norway, but uh, to much of the world, pets are very much a part of the household, of the home that children are growing up in. And so it would be natural that this would be a relationship that could be very important. Did you grow up with any animals yourself? I did grow up with a dog named Trixie, <laughs> and uh, she was, of course, very much part uh, part of our family. But I think my professional interest really began a, in a little bit of a different way in the sense that as I was studying social and emotional relationships in children, uh, one of the uh, relationships that I, I was really interested in was the idea of nurturing we very much think of that as something that adults do for children, and of course they do. But I was interested as a person who focuses on child development, what happens in childhood that maybe might make an adult a better nurturer, a better caregiver, a more compassionate and, and more nurturing person? Is this something that develops in childhood? And this was really a kind of an academic question, but I discovered, just as I did when I was interested in non-human relationships, I discovered there was very, very little research. And so I began a research program with a colleague on the idea, we called it the development of nurturance, what goes on in childhood. We never thought about pets and we never thought about animals because we, we just thought about, well, 
you know, maybe kids who are around babies would get into, you know, that might be something or we, we weren't sure, but we never thought about it. And we did studies of children, both observing them and videotaping them and interviewing them about nurturing others. And we, when others, we thought of other human beings, mainly little, you know, baby babies. And what we found in that research was by the age of five, children had a very strong gender bias, which was kind of shocking to us, that girls were very interested in, in nurturing, caring for little ones, and boys, not at all. And we interviewed young children, and one said to me, well, taking care of a baby, that's a mommy thing. This is a little boy. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big man. I, no, no. Um, and it didn't seem to matter that, that his dad was there taking care of, you know, he had plenty of models, of plenty of examples. We were kind of distressed by that because we felt that our society, and in fact, in the world, we need everyone to be a nurturer, a caregiver somebody who is attuned to helping others. So I remember vividly talking with colleagues about our, our results, our findings, and how disturbed we were. And one of them said to us, well, what do you think about taking care of pets? They must be in so many homes, and obviously you've got to take care of them or, or they're going to suffer and die. And I, and I wonder if you'll find this gender problem with that. And certainly it would be an opportunity to learn about nurturing. And we, like a big, you know, light went off in our head and we said, oh my goodness, yeah, that's so interesting. I wonder about that. In the days before Google, we actually went to the library to do what a researcher always does first, which is look at the existing research and discovering not a single research study on this question, not one. I was very surprised because I soon discovered that, my goodness, you know, children are growing up with pets, uh, and of course, mostly dogs and cats, but other pets too, in the majority of households in the United States. And, and so we're talking about millions upon millions of children. How could this be that everyone is ignoring this? Um, so this was a great stimulus to beginning this research. And at the beginning, of course, we were interested in this idea of this nurturing. Uh, and we started not looking at animals, but then this uh, stimulated us. Our, one of our first discoveries, which I think still is something very important for, for people to think about, is that that gender effect that we found when it came to taking care of human babies was completely absent when it came to taking care of pets. Boys and girls didn't see it as a mommy thing, a daddy thing, a girl thing, a boy thing. You just could, you know, take care of your dog or your cat or whoever, whatever the animal was. And that had nothing to do with being masculine or feminine. So this was, we called it a gender neutral area of learning about nurturing. And frankly, the only one we could identify. And that means it's potentially very significant in childhood. 
especially for boys. They don't have a lot of opportunity to be involved with nurturing and caregiving. What differences did you see between the kids growing up with uh, with pets compared to the ones that uh, did not have any pets? Well, one of the things that's very interesting there is that children who were growing up with pets, their their understanding of not only their own animal that they're growing up with, but more generally, uh, even even pets that belong to other people, uh, more, I would say, is more sophisticated. So we, we did interviews with children asking them about the the thoughts and emotions and feelings that a dog might have. Now, not their own dog, but a dog that they had a chance to, a friendly dog they had a chance to play with and get to know. And if they had a pet at home, they were more likely to attribute uh, to this dog that they just getting to know more uh, what we call more psychology, more emotion. In other words, they saw this animal as a more complex being than a child who did not have experience growing up with pets. And the other thing which I think was very important is we asked children questions about what we call the moral standing of the dog. And by moral standing, I mean, what are your views about what is morally and ethically okay in terms of treatment of this animal? And we found that children who were growing up with animals had a stronger view of the ethical and moral obligation. Are there any other benefits from growing up with a dog? I do think that we saw growing up, at least potentially growing up with a pet, can have an effect on your views, let's say, on animal welfare issues. And these skills and these emotions, they also transfer to other humans? Uh, We don't really have the research that would allow us to conclude, oh, yes, that happens all the time or most of the time. Uh, But I think it's a very, very important question. Well, we we found uh, another, I think, important benefit, the idea of emotional support, especially when a child might be feeling some stress. And the idea here is that in in the home, of course, uh, human family members, but also non-human uh, pets are available. They're in the home. They're especially with dogs, very, 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 very happy to see you. And when you need a feeling uh, that someone is there that cares for you, you can often derive that feeling from um, a pet. And I, I would say dogs are especially good um, because of their evolved bond uh, with the human family. And so we have found in our research that children do remarkably often turn to their pets when they are feeling uh, emotions of sadness or anger or needing some support. And they do feel as though, even though the animal cannot tell them, I'm there for you, there is a very big research uh, literature on the importance of human social support for people. 
not only children, but adults, all through the lifespan. And we know that one of the most effective, say, medications for people is social support. And one of the greatest threats to health is social isolation. So this is, again, an area where non-human relationships was ignored completely until recently. Nobody thought to look at social support coming from something that's not another human being. And yet, uh, we now know that grown-ups too, I mean, adults and children, derive very often feelings of emotional support from uh, the pets that they have in their, in their household. And service dogs is getting more and more common. Yeah, emotional support uh, animals, yeah. And and that, that's, in a way, um, a, you know, making making that kind of relationship, quote unquote, official, you know, kind of a, we could say that in many ways, the animals that are pets in children's homes are functioning as emotional support animals um, in an everyday way for many, many children. And in some schools, you also have uh, classroom pets. Yes, exactly. And I think that we're seeing this whole idea moving into other areas, into, you know, visiting children in hospitals, having animals in classrooms, uh, animal-assisted therapy, which has a component of that feeling of emotional support. So the idea has spread uh, and has a lot of applications now. Is there any difference between dogs and other types of pets? Or is there something special about dogs? Or is it only the dog owners that like to think so? (laughs) Well, I think the answer is yes and no. Um, We know that dogs are, in in a way, uniquely responsive, uniquely attuned to other humans in in the family. They are, you know, that's their pack. They're, they're, in that sense, they're highly interactive in a way that even cats, I know cat lovers would maybe not like this statement, but <laughs> uh, usually not. And, and of course, children have other other pets. They have turtles and birds and, and snakes and, and uh, guinea pigs and, you know, a great, a great variety. And sometimes, often, more than one species in, in the same household. One thing we found in terms of the emotional attachment or the feelings of support, children are really able to get that from a wide variety of species. Even though you might think, well, the dog would be superior because, you know, he can sense when you're sad and come over and kind of lick your hand and and make you feel better. But children can pour out their heart to their guinea pig who maybe is not listening and doesn't understand, but you can have a feeling that there is creature that is there accepting you and listening to you. So I think the benefits of of pets are very broad across species. Pets can also teach you some important lessons of life, can't they? 80% of all children uh, and this is in, in many countries, um, have their first experience of death with the death of an animal, you know, a pet, because, of course, the lifespan of almost all animals is, is shorter. So we know this is an important, at least, opportunity in the family for, you know, understanding and dealing with, with death and, and with, with illness, for that matter. 
I would say that what the research is showing is that how children either benefit from this or don't benefit has everything to do with the other human beings in the house, so especially parents. So it's a, we say in English, a teachable moment. If an animal is, is sick or an animal is died, there's an opportunity for discussion. There's an opportunity to talk about feelings. But not every parent will use this opportunity. And some parents may try to hide these experiences from their children. They think, oh, it's going to be too upsetting. It really does depend, uh, I would say, even in general, I often try to emphasize that the significance of uh, the animals in, in a child's life depends a lot about the way the parents and the adults who are caring for the child help to make it successful or not, help to interpret, to give opportunities. It's not something that the child just in isolation experiences. They're part of a complicated network of humans and animals together. Very often, you know, parents, they don't mean to to do this, but they will say to a, a young child, you know, we went to the veterinarian, we had to put uh, the dog to sleep. Uh, that expression in, in, in English, put the dog to sleep. Well, you can imagine if you're three or four or five years old, you don't want to go to bed because uh, the child understands this very literally, meaning, you know, you go to sleep and you never wake up. We try The way we talk about uh, death is also important, thinking about how does the child understand the words we're saying. There are two topics I think parents have a lot of trouble with, talking about sex and talking about death. You know, being being very careful to be accurate and truthful, and that's hard sometimes because you want to uh, protect children from negative emotions. That's a feeling that's very natural for a parent to have. The other thing is we often say, uh, meet the child where the child is. Rather than giving a child sometimes too much information, waiting and asking, waiting for the child to ask questions and then answering that question, but not going beyond it because maybe that child's not ready yet. A dog may die and then the child may say the next day, when is whatever the dog's name is, Fluffy, you know, when is Fluffy coming back? Then that's when the response is, Fluffy is not coming back because Fluffy died. And when a dog or a person dies, they don't come back, but we remember them. Let's look at some pictures and some videos of Fluffy to remember Fluffy. You know, this could be a transition, but Fluffy is not going to physically come back. Just addressing what the child is asking, and then and then that child, maybe weeks will go by, and the child may ask another question, and then you can follow that up. So I think that's one, that's true for really any kind of difficult conversation. The last thing I would say is that, um, you know, I'm a parent and a grandparent, and I know how hard it is to watch a child uh, be sad and watch a child be upset. But it's important for parents to realize that sometimes we all have to experience, uh, it's natural to experience sadness 
you know, if a if a beloved human dies, of course we're sad. Of course we cry. And the idea that we don't, well, others would think we were very unfeeling. So being okay with a child's sadness or negative emotion um, and even joining with it, of, you know, of course we feel sad or fluffy is something that, you know, I think parents sometimes have to work on, but it's a good thing to remember. That's some uh, really good advice. And luckily the dogs also gave us uh, many... Uh Many good Absolutely. moments, <laughs> a lot of joy, and uh, dogs needs to be exercised. And uh, sometimes parents let uh, their kids take part in this. Could also benefit the yeah. child, I guess. Yeah, well, that's an area of current research of whether, because we know childhood obesity is a big problem in many developed countries. And if dogs can help children become more physically active, that's a very, and, and adults too, that's a very good thing. There's some research now looking at that. I think we don't fully know. It's a bit complicated. That may depend on uh, lifestyle, the type of dog, the kind of relationships in the family. Right now, it's hard to say, here's a child who needs exercise. Give this child a dog. The child will get more exercise and lose weight. You know, we, we can't say that yet. We can't say it now because it's it's also more complicated. But at least potentially, I would say the word potentially, dogs can be a help in creating more physical activity for family members. And some kids are growing up to share their parents' interest for some kind of uh, dog sports. I know uh, a lot of our listeners, they are uh, active in some kind of dog sport, whether it's canicross, agility, or uh, whatever. And also mm-hmm. the kids gradually sure. start competing. What do you think about that? Is there anything the parents should be aware of? I really, really looked at that as a uh, scientist, as a researcher. So I'm, I'm really not sure. I think... Um, Anything that is competitive that parents are involved in and then children become interested, any of those things probably depend on how the family uh, deals with that. It should never be something that a child feels pressure. Uh, It should not be something in which they feel that their self-esteem depends on, you know, winning a prize. But that's true of any kind of competition. Very often when when a parent is extremely enthusiastic about some kind of sport or competition, it feels very natural for them to encourage their child, but sometimes it becomes pressure. And they, you know, the adult doesn't feel like it's pressure because this is something they love. It's just a matter of, I think, in general, to think about and to be aware of how the child is feeling about You've been listening to Unleashed by Nonstop Dogware. If you have questions, feedback, or ideas for guests or topics to cover, please email us at unleashed at nonstopdogware.com. You can also follow Unleashed Pod on Instagram or visit nonstopdogware.com for more content. Remember to subscribe for more episodes. 